Welcome to the Comics Corner. Um, this is our 17th episode. How exciting. I'm so excited. We have to plan something big for 20 and 25. I already have plans in mind, but we'll get to that in a minute. Welcome to John's Comic Corner. I am John. Uh, with me, as always, is um, the flame bird to my Batwoman, the Damien to my Nightwing, the Cassie to my Diana, Matthew Klein. Why, thank you so much for that incredible introduction. Uh, I am absolutely your flame bird. There's no question. So thank excited you. to be back here on the Comics Corner with you. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, we have an extra special guest, someone whom I am very, very excited about, a wonderful human being, an amazingly talented writer, and one of my all-around favorite people in the world, Jeremiah J. Jeremiah, welcome. Thank you for having me. That's way too nice of an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I I always I I always love to have people on that I love and that I know we're going to have an excellent conversation. So thank you so much for joining us and for taking time out of your day to join very us. Fun. I'm very happy. Very, very um, happy. yeah. I can't believe it. Number seventeen. Here we are. Uh, and yet I don't look a day over twenty-seven. No matter for what. the 21st episode, are we going to be drinking during it? Um, I think we should take a step back and remember what I'm like when I'm drinking. This is why I'm suggesting it. And just think that may not be the best idea for everybody. Jeremiah, do you think that'd be a great idea? Uh, sure, because I've never had a drop of alcohol in my life, so it'd just be fun to watch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not about your time, John. It's about everyone else's entertainment listening. There you go. I, I want it's coming along. I want to turn I want to turn this against you and say, are you saying I'm not entertaining enough when I'm sober? But I'm just gonna hold off on that for a second. Um, although this actually might be the first comics corner where I don't think Matthew and I are gonna get into a fight and a disagreement because we love this book. And I'm very excited because this is, I believe, the first time you've ever read this series. Am I correct, Jeremiah? Yes, uh, this is the first time I ever read Astro City. Uh, it was, it's kind of intimidating uh, being a, a superhero world and that is bounced around a bunch of different companies essentially in the beginning. Um, so it, it's it kind of was intimidating. This was my first dip my toe into Astro City. And after reading it, I really want to get into more. Okay, so the book that we're going to, I don't know why I do this. I know I understand that this is a podcast, but I always feel the need to hold up the book. Um, it is Astro City Confession by Kurt Busick, Brent Anderson, um, and Alec Ross. Um, and just a sort of very quick history of Astro City. Uh, Astro City was originally done under the Wildstorm imprint and then moved to Vertigo um, and is now, I believe, currently on hiatus while they're switching uh, kind of um, how they're presenting it. They're going to start to present the book as a, a original series of original graphic novels. Um, and uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this book is because I think that this book is 
a really, really wonderful way for people to get into comics, um, especially superhero comics. Um, for one of the reasons that we'll talk about, which Jeremiah touched on, which is each graphic novel, each story arc is about a specific hero. Um, Confession is my favorite. I love this book, which is very strange. This book is not normally something that I would love, but let us just jump into the conversation. Matthew, am I missing anything? Oh, do you want to do the recap? No, no, you do the recap. I love your recaps. Okay. Um, Spoiler alert, as always, in full effect, um, I'm going to, we're going to try to not, um, I've been trying this new thing in Comics Corner where I'm trying to not give away too much because I want people to read it and be surprised and excited. But essentially it is about the confessor who is this dark and mysterious superhero in Astro City um, and a young gentleman who is, uh, whose father has recently passed away and who moves to Astro City in search of new dreams and new, um, new opportunities and what happens when they meet. Um, and I don't think I'm going to spoil much more than that. Um, I mean, we will as the conversation goes on. This is why spoiler alert is in full, full effect. Uh, but I'm going to disagree with you on your recap. Uh, oh, boy, we're going to have a fight already. Absolutely. Oh, all right. I guess we're... I, I was thinking we weren't going to fight, but I guess the fight starts. Go ahead. You, you Come at me, bro. Re- you started the recap by saying that the story was about a hero called the Confessor. I will disagree with you. I think this is a story about a young boy who goes to a city with dreams of becoming a hero who ends up being the sidekick for the confessor. I think it's the boy's story, not the confessor's story. Um, I can see that. I don't know that I entirely agree because I think that point of views can change and shift. And I think the point of view of this story does change and shift. Um, Jeremiah, thoughts on this? Are we... Are we- you're you're both right in the fact that this is the confessor's story um, through Brian uh, Alterboy's eyes, essentially, in my opinion. I do want to touch on something that you did say that this is a great jumping on point for new comic readers. Um, I used to be a comics retailer. I wish I had known about this story way sooner because this has everything you want in a superhero comic. It's a coming-of-age story in a sense. It's a mystery. It's a a local event in between, like an intimate event in between a couple people, but it's also a global event in a specific way. Um, This is everything that you want out of a superhero comic in one concise story that's told amazingly well. And uh, Brent Anderson's artwork in it is incredible, but I do want to shout out Alex Sinclair's colors on it really make the book kind of a step above, in my opinion. Yes, Um, completely agree. Um, So actually, there's two places that I want to start jumping off of what you said, and I'm not sure which one I want to go with first. So um, let's start small and grow big, which is, this to me is one Oh, did I just, I just said something super dirty. I'm like Charles Boyle on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> um, but what I, <laughs> oh, we'll cut that. Edit, we'll edit that. Um, you know, Jeremiah, you and I didn't actually have to say anything. He finally came to it on his own. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, thank you. Um, so what I do want to say is this is actually one of 
the best father and son stories that I have ever read in a comic, um, especially considering what we think of, we culturally think of as the father actually starts the story. Um, the story doesn't start until he actually passes away. Um, uh, and it really takes this sort of mentor-mentee relationship into this beautifully written space about um, kind of children realizing that their parents aren't perfect and parents realizing that their children aren't perfect and yet still finding a way to really love each other. Um, there is so a moment when you realize that your parents aren't perfect. And there's that moment where Alter Boy, where Brian has that realization and it, it, the, the story changes drastically then. In my yeah. Opinion. And, and the thing is the story changes drastically, but it doesn't change the love that these two really yeah. have for each other. And I love the fact that the dynamic changes, but the, the, Matthew and I have had this conversation oftentimes where I'm like, okay, I don't consider a love story to be just a romantic love story. I think there's all kinds Absolutely. of love stories Agreed. and it doesn't change the love between this father and this, this father figure and this son, um, which I absolutely think is brilliant. Well, and I, I think to, to both your points to sort of build off that what's, what's so great from a narrative structure standpoint is it sort of begins with Brian having been disillusioned with the, uh, idea of who his father was has been sort of tarnished and he's realizing his so he goes in search of another father figure that he believes will be perfect and then as the story goes on again it happens to him but the difference is this is a father who is able to speak with him about this realization and interact and communicate about what it means this realization he's having which he doesn't get with the the first father figure that in his life but also helps find that, that really beautiful arc of where he can learn to love and accept both of them in different ways, which is really touching. Yeah, helping him come to the point of acceptance with both of them at the mm -hmm. same time. Yeah, it's one of the things that puts this book kind of above, in my opinion. On, on yeah. some levels, the inciting incident is Brian, and this is really not a spoiler because this is where it starts. The, the inciting incident almost happens right before we see where Brian's journey is, which is the death of his father, right? Like, it feels like that's the, the moment that kicks him into gear the rest of this journey that we, we see him go on. Um, and so it, it adds this whole other kind of overarching layer to see explored through his interactions with these other people and this new life he's trying to craft for himself. Yeah, and structurally, what I find interesting about this is... Um, for comic fans, we who have our collector's gene have a tendency to say, well, I want to start at the beginning of a story. Stories never start at the beginning. Never, ever, ever, ever do stories start at the beginning. They always start in the middle. The only exception that I can think of to this is maybe the George Perez Wonder Woman. But even that kind of starts in the middle of the story, really. Um, but I, I love the fact that it does start at a beginning, but not the beginning. And it still gives you everything that you need. Did you ever feel lost? Because this is actually, the reason that I'm asking that question is this is actually the second, um, chronologically, the second Astro City book. 
Um, but I, this is, I think there might've been a one, one panel of the confessor in the first book, but did either of you guys feel lost? Uh, no, it, it literally felt like you said, the stories begin in the beginning, in the middle. It was the middle of Brian's journey, essentially to find himself. Cause he's, So did kind of start with him finding himself in Astro City, welcoming and warming that first trying. Let's go get it. Let's move to the big city and do the big thing, and then it just built from there in such a cohesive way. Um, uh, not to jump too far. This won the Eisner in '97. Did the best continuous story mm-hmm. um, for a good big goddamn reason. <laughs> Um, well, and yeah. I think I think too to your point, Jeremiah. One of the reasons that it's it's very welcoming is this particular story. Is it starts with Brian getting to the big city, and so he's literally our tour guide. He is introducing us to all these different characters. He's introducing us to different neighborhoods as he's discovering different aspects of the city. So do we in that first issue. So from a narrative standpoint, it's perfect. He's learning about the city and taking his prior knowledge and giving it to us so that we can instantly sort of feel comfortable along this journey with him so that we can't get lost because he is our tour guide and his voice is so authoritative um, that it really makes you feel, you know, very sort of eased into a very complicated big world with a lot of different characters. Mm-hmm. Um Another thing that I think this book does really well, and this is kind of where I want to get a little more specific and a little more into the nitty gritty, is there is so much text and subtext. And I don't mean text like there's so many words on the page. I mean, this story is about so many really wonderful things. We talk about father and son, but for me, one of the things that, there's two things that I love really about this book. One is what I think often happens in superhero comics is something that kind of gets ignored a little bit, which is what is it? What does it mean to be a hero? Mm -hmm. Um, Because to Brian as Alter Boy, it means something very different at the beginning than where he finds himself at the end. And to um, the confessor, it means something it is something that he has come to um, for reasons that we will get to spoiler as we, as we discuss, but um, did that resonate with you guys as well as like, this is why, this is what the first thing is that's hitting me in this book. I'll let my, I'll let Matt go first. Um, I, I don't know. That was the first thing that hit me in, in terms of this book. I think that um, one of the first themes that really hit me uh, that stood out so much was really this um, idea of public opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in part, the reason it hit me so hard is because though this book came out in 1997, it felt insanely relatable to what's happening today in terms of partisanship, media bias, Um, sources of information, trust and mistrust with local government officials, 
all of this is, is in the story and very, very well handled. And so I think because of, it felt like such a reflection of the time I live in, <laughs> that we all live in right now, that's sort of what, what hit me first. And I'm not saying it, it's not there. I totally agree with you. Like the, the more personal um, existential question of what does it mean to be here on more of an esoteric level, totally there, totally mm-hmm. there. I agree. So I'm, I'm right with Matt. Like this, this felt like it could have been told yesterday and it would be still just as resonant. And it almost shocked me that it was 1997. Uh, the way that they handle everything, the media, the, the media bias and all that. Um, the idea of being a hero didn't beat me over the head until the big reveal, if you will. Not, not We'll get to that spoilers in a bit. But yeah, when uh, Ultra Boy, when Brian took up the mantle of Waterboy, he had this idea of being a hero. And by the end of the story, it did change. But the reason the confessor is a hero, in my opinion, is what I always kind of viewed as a hero. When you're labeled as something, but you still do the right thing. It's doing the right thing, um, no matter the reason. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is the thing that I resonated with immediately when that moment happened, when the, when the big reveal happened, which... You always, with these kind of corners, you always have a reason to give the book to the guest. And I know the reason you gave me this book. Uh, I was, the first, I read through it three times now. The first time I read through it, I was on a plane and uh, my fiance was sitting next to me and I just, I just put my head into the book. Uh, <laughs> because I was like, he would, he totally would. Uh, <laughs> So I appreciate that. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for, to make everyone ignore their fiancés. Um, now, for me, actually, the interesting thing for me, it's the, the question of what it is to be a hero started very early on because um, uh, Brian gets a job at a essentially a, a high-falutin club. A low-falutin club first. First a low-falutin club. But then he goes to the highfalutin club and a villain breaks in and uh, takes Brian hostage and then he knocks the guy out. And there's a moment at the end where the other bus boys and bus girls confront Brian at the end of that issue and they confront him and they're like, well, this was our chance. This was our chance. And you sort of see that twisted version of what Brian's original thought of being a hero is, which is getting the acclaim and getting that limelight and um, uh, being everything that sort of is in the media as the idea of what a hero should be. Making and, it. Yeah, media. I'm, we're, we're saying media in, in air quotes. Oh, no, like making it as a hero. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's sort of all of these different versions of what it is, because you have Cracker Jack, who's this sort of very um, loud and obnoxious, self-aggrandizing superhero. And then you have um, the Confessor, who is this very quiet, I prefer to do my, um, you know, do my saving, do my hero work in the dark. Um but to me, it was just a question that came that kept coming up over and over and over through the book. So I couldn't help but think, um, oh, my God, I just turned into Carrie Bradshaw for a second. I couldn't help but really have that in my my brain. I don't know if it was his most 
uh, sort of thought of thing, but uh, Kurt Busiek's most, you know, the biggest question in his mind when he was writing this, but I just, it was one of those things that struck me. Because it, it definitely does speak to, to Brian's journey. You know, Brian's on a hero's journey. Mm -hmm. It's very, you know, very much a classic sort of hero's journey in that sense. Like it's very classically structured. Um, and, and this idea of what is a hero for Brian and those, and the bus people, it's sort of celebrity, it's fame, it's acclaim, it's adoration and recognition. Um, and then they, they actually meet heroes and some have similar motives and then others really don't. And he's taking that journey, but, and, and I will say that it's reinforced, right? Every step of the way, when there's a new attack, when there's a new challenge, it does ask the question, why do you want to be a hero? What do you want to be a hero for? What is your end goal with this? Mm -hmm. And he keeps getting confronted with a different answer than what he assumed it would be because going back to the father son thing, it's he's, he starts to see that being a hero does not mean being perfect. Yes. And being a hero is not necessarily saving everybody's life in a global wearing a mask in a global sense, wearing a mask and a costume. There's a million different ways to, uh, to be a hero. Um, and I think we'll probably touch on that later as we keep going into it. But uh, I'm going to say something that is going to shock Matthew, shock and appall him, I'm certain, um, which is um, I kind of considered this the best Batman story that's not a Batman story. You've said this to me. You've said this to me. Did I say this to you before you read this? When did you first read this book? Uh, this was the first time I ever actually first read the whole story all the way through. I've read it in pieces before. Okay, so I've been recommending it for years and just keep choosing to ignore me. Okay. No, 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 no. Now, the, because you don't always recommend this, you actually recommend the first chapter in this book, which we've not spoken about yet, which is Astro City One and a Half. Um, is that in your your collections? Oh, The Nearness of You? Oh yes, my God! Yes. Okay. Not even touched we're, on this we're, yet. We're going to get into a whole discussion about that. So I we promise. We're going to have a conversation later about this. I promise. But, we will have a whole conversation about that. But you, you um, absolutely said that this is your favorite Batman. That's not a Batman story before. Yes, and here is why. Go because ahead. it it answers a question that I think is supremely important, especially given the times that we are in and what we've lived through in the last year. Um, we're recording this in August of 2021. So 300 years from now, when someone finds this podcast, just open up a history book. Um, but the, the question is- They might find it sooner. I'm just saying. That's true. Um, but the question that it brings up for me, which is a question that's never kind of, it's never really answered in the Batman book is, why does this lone hero who seems to have everything, of, if not together, at least seems to be able to function, why does he crave human connection so much that he goes out, finds a mentee in Brian, trains him, takes care of him, sets him up financially, makes sure that he is okay, um, looks out for him, and eventually learns the truth about him. And I don't think a Batman story ever really 
answers that. We see the affection that Batman has for Alfred, for Nightwing, for Tim and Jason and Damien and Barbara, et cetera, et cetera. But it never really answers that question. And this, to me, this, this book does such a beautiful job of not specifically answering the question, but making it clear that we as humans need other humans. Am I crazy? Um, I, I I love your, your thought there. And I think that this absolutely does answer that question. I will disagree that no Batman story has ever attempted to answer that question. <laughs> I will say that Bruce Wayne, the character, never answers this question ever. But the people around him absolutely have tried to figure it out. Alfred has given this speech to every Robin when they're about to become Robin about why Bruce needs somebody there, why he brings them on the purpose of, of the ward, of a son who he's looking for. Alfred gives this spiel like six times in the history of Batman. So I disagree with you that it's never answered in a Batman story. They just don't stick with it. And Bruce is never the one to actually give the answer. And that's problem. That's a problem to me that Bruce is never the one to give the answer. Oh, I, I understand. Get some I, therapy, Bruce. Uh, oh, you know, that's actually going to be our next podcast, John. I want to tell you, we're going to do um, superhero therapy. They're going to be 10 minute episodes. Oh, God. <laughs> that sounds first, wonderful. <laughs> first 10 episodes are just Bruce. That's it. Uh, maybe that's what we'll do for our 25th episode. We'll, we'll do, we'll diagnose every superhero. Um, you're coming back for that one. Yes, I, if I'm invited, I will totally come back for that. <laughs> um, but Jeremiah, I'm going to throw that that thought to you. I, I agree with you. When the fact that basically it's the confessor who helps find the answer, as opposed to uh, the answer not being given, uh, it, it is Brian. It is Alter Boy who does find it on his own. But it's because of all the clues that the confessor left for him, which is exactly what he was doing the whole time. Leaving, leaving clues, leaving clues, leaving clues, leaving clues until Brian also could put together the whole picture. And that like, even with the big reveal, there's still a big piece missing that took until the end of the book to find, to reveal the whole answer. So yes, I, I'm right there with you. Um, yeah. And I think that speaks. I take his side. To a, I think that speaks to a healthier version of Batman in The Confessor in that he is saying, I, I want to reveal who I am and I'm imperfect and I've done these terrible things, but I need to know if you're going to still be my friend slash surrogate son when you figure it out. Yeah, he's, he's able to actually be emotionally aware and emotionally vulnerable, which Bruce Wayne will never be. But they, they almost get close with Bruce on a few occasions. But the Confessor is actually, and, and I think it speaks to the Confessor's journey, right? Which is sort of, he's lived long enough, he's seen enough, he's experienced enough that he is seeking connection um, and is doing so in a way that feels... I would say the word is safe for him to do so in, in, in how he meets out these clues to Brian and trains him and finds him. 
Um, Because it doesn't sound like, correct me if I'm wrong, John, but it doesn't sound like the Confessor has really had a sidekick before or ward. Nothing that has ever been uh, revealed. Um, I will, oh, do I want to spoil this? Well, it's mentioned in the beginning that it's the first time the Confessor has ever been seen with someone. Right. So, so the question is sort of, you know, as with, with all wonderful stories is why now, right? Why Brian? Why now? Um, I don't know. Was that question ever answered for the two of you? Now that I'm thinking about it, of like, why, why the confessor chose Brian, why he chose him at this point in the confessor's journey and in his life? Um, Actually, I'm going to let Jeremiah answer this first. Before I, don't, I... I don't think I found the direct answer to that. It was something I was curious about, but with, with the big reveal and the kind of twist at the end of the story arc, I think it's something that didn't get answered, or at least I overlooked it. Yeah, and for me, it was very much about this, uh, what, he, what I think he saw in Brian was this understanding of what really being a hero is, what true heroism is. And, you know, yeah, there's bumps to get there, but I think he, you know, because Brian kind of asks that question, you know, why me? And I don't, it's not specifically answered in the book. Now I'm going to have to look this up. Now we're all running to our... Oh, no, um, I, got, I got bookmarks. I got... Oh, you've got a bookmark. Oh, no, no, you, oh, yeah. You're so you much better Jeremiah's than I am. Copy when he held it up, like, Jeremiah's got, like, a study guide ready for this thing. I know. I just have a page of notes, so sorry. There, I didn't know what we were 100% touching on, but there's stuff that I would like to have touched on. So I just... Um, trying to think of that. Well, he says, he actually says one of my favorite lines, which is one of the priestly duties is to teach. Yes. Um, Which I I think he sees the ability to really teach Brian what it is. um, That Brian sort of has this innate understanding of what it is to be a hero, but he needs somebody to guide him. Well, I wonder too if, if and to, to kind of go back to what we spoke about earlier, I wonder if the confessor on some level is a father looking for a son and sees a son looking for a father on some level there. Um, you know, but I, I don't know. I could, be, I could be pulling that one out of thin air and trying to make pieces fit, to be honest with you. No, I think, I think you're onto something there, Matt, because th- the way he takes him in and the way he trains him up by giving him kind of breadcrumbs to where he can find stuff on his own is very fatherly in a way. And yeah. so he probably saw that. I mean, we don't know. I don't think it's mentioned how long he is in the city before he gets taken under the mantle. Um, but I mean, the confessor could have been watching him for a week and saw that this was a man looking for this. So. Yeah. Oh, it definitely feels like the confessor is like kept an eye on him, like for for a little for a few days, at least. I feel like there's almost something with the bartender who hires him at the at the joint and the confess almost of like maybe he recommended him. I think it's the cross. I think I I actually this was going to lead to a larger conversation. So um, we are in full spoiler mode now, folks. We are in full spoiler mode now. We've managed for like half an hour almost. But I think that this book does something really amazing that 
has not, I have not seen done outside of maybe Greg Rucka's Hikatea, um, which is, it handles religion and the question of faith and religion in a really smart, sensitive, thoughtful way without falling down somewhere. It doesn't pigeonhole it. It, it no. addresses it in the room and it's like, hey, it's there. If you want to go talk to it, you can go talk to it. If you don't want to go talk to it, you don't have to go talk to it. Right. Um, which is one of the best ways I've ever seen religion handled in a book, for sure. Yeah. And it starts with the crossbreed who is this um, uh, evangelizing, I think that is actually a word, um, evangelizing group of heroes uh, who believe their powers are gifts from God. Um, and who take their names from biblical characters and biblical heroes. Um, and of course, um, I say of course as if we've already said this, the confessor is a, was a priest, is a priest, was a priest. Um, and, it, and it also throws in um, uh, a very quick line in there about winged victory and how she, what she says about religion. Um, but it it doesn't, feel preachy in any way and I just I don't know that I've ever read a comic that deals with a relig religion in such a thoughtful way sometimes talking about religion can make people uncomfortable whether they were exposed to it as a child and they just diverted away from it out of their own choice or it just kind of fell out of their life sometimes just bringing up religion can be very uncomfortable walking down a park and someone asks if you found Jesus or something can just really shell shock some people. And the way that this really brings it into the limelight, not only because of one of the main characters was a former priest, but you've got the, the crossbreed uh, as essential side characters who become very important in the book. Um, yeah, it's, it's the best way. If, if I wanted someone to kind of get into religion, maybe, uh, this is an example of how I would like to do it. Explain that it's there, you want to dig in more on your own, go ahead. Um, and Astro City, I, I'm sure Astro City as a, as a whole is a character within the series. Like over time, over specific arts, the city itself is a character. And this is a nice way to say that this is a part of that character. Mm -hmm. The way that they handled it in this story. So. Yeah. And there's also, Matthew, I'm going to get you in one second. I just want to, there's a line in here, which is one of my favorite lines in the book, which is something that Noah, one of the crossbreeds says, which is, uh, he, the confessor, was saving innocence and serving truth. And in the final judgment, what is more important, the burdens we bear or the way we bear them, which I think is such a perfectly beautiful uh line about faith without making it about a specific thing. Um, Matthew, thoughts on the religion question in general and then on that line? I mean, it, it is a, religion is a hard topic to handle without feeling preachy, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a topic that everyone carries strong opinions about. Um, and so to try and sort of thread the needle the way the Busiak does here is very daunting um, and could go wrong really, really quickly. But I think he does a really nice job of, of sort of putting the handle in that 
um, to sort of Jeremiah's point, it's not actually asking you to ascribe to a religious belief. It's not trying to propagandize a certain way of religious thinking. Um, and so I think that sort of enables it to feel a part of the story without taking over a section of the story. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And religion is kind of such a part of this in a way that we couldn't, it would have felt not quite right to me to not talk about it. But at the same time, again, I'm not interested in making anyone uncomfortable. Um, But I, you know, there's just no way to talk about this book without talking about it on some level. No, religion is absolutely. You might. Oh, and also uh, the the other thing, if you want to tie it into, since this is really touching on uh, Judeo-Christian faith, is you're talking about an allegory of a father-son relationship again. Mm -hmm. There is that layer to um, Judeo-Christianity that you can put thematically in with the other relationships in there. So it works on that level as well. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Jeremiah, did you want to say something? Yeah. The way that I view this story is it's kind of built in, like I was saying, a a bunch of parts. And religion is a support beam in this story that you don't look down, you won't see it that much, but it's there. Mm -hmm. it's, It's very much holding the story together, but you wouldn't think about it when you're walking by essentially uh you can completely ignore it and still get a lot out of the story yeah yeah um jeremiah what have i not brought up and if you say the thing if you if you cross reference with what my last question is going to be before we go into the next story i'll stop you but um because i see you have a whole bunch of post-it notes on your book what have what have we not brought up yet that you want to discuss? This is oh well, I was gonna I was about to say this is the first time we've got a comic book retailer on, but we had Drew on. Um, I forgot. Well, and in in terms of the story or as a as a whole, um, like, either one, whatever appeals to you. Because when we just brought up religion, um, which is a part of the story, um, but the other part of it, which we discussed on, is media bias. And the way that there's a wonderful line. Uh, So a part of this story is a woman is found dead and basically heroes are starting to get round up. Um, We are in spoiler territory, so I'm trying to be vague, but heroes are starting to get round up. The media is starting to kind of force against heroes. And in, in the world we live in now, with the way that the media is, there's this brilliant line that the confessor says, both faces are always there. The darker one stays shadowed most of the time, but it comes into the light over less than this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is something that, like the first time I read it was just like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of what the mayor did and what's been going on with, with the, uh, the death in Shadow Hill. Uh, so I don't know if I, I jumped over what you were discussing, what you wanted you, to You did not, but you did make me want to bring up one quick point is um, for anyone who's listening, just so you're aware of where this falls in the cosmic timeline of things, uh, this was 96, 97. 
Civil War, which discusses something very similar, but has a much more narrow focus, came out in 2006, 2007. So the comic book Civil War, not the Captain America Civil War movie. That's a whole other plate of potatoes. We may get to that at some point. We'll do, we'll do a comics corner around that for sure. We'll, screen, well, screen we'll, get into, we'll get into why Civil War is actually the best um, gay breakup story ever committed to superhero film. Um, because it's two hours of Tony Stark being like, you can't love him and love me. And poor Captain America just being like, but he was my first boyfriend. Even though and, in no movie leading up to it, did you even realize these two people were really together? But, um, no, but I mean, it's just, this is just my theory. Don't, you know, don't hold me to it, but I'm just letting you know, Captain America Civil War is the best gay breakup movie ever. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's based off of a story from 2006 that is actually, actually 2006 2007 10 years after this story comes out which in thinking about the chronology i actually went back because when i started reading the the idea of registrations for superheroes of like wait a minute how close was this and i'm like wow i i don't want to say mark miller was just a big astro city fan and had this in his pocket but i i also won't say he wouldn't steal from great stories because all great writers steal uh, but there you go that is true that is true but i do i love the idea of um that jeremiah brought up of media shaping how we view people trying because i'm gonna go pollyanna-ish for a second i do believe that people try to do the best thing that they can do with the information that they have given in the moment. Most of the time. Most of the time. I'm going to try to believe that. Um, I hope to believe that. I hope, hope to, I hope to believe that. Um, and again, I did say most people, not all people, but most people. Um, but I do love the way it, it shapes the, the media begins to shape how not only how we view each other, but how we view ourselves. How we view ourselves, how we view each other, how we, um, and, and quite frankly, also what we put priority on, right? Um, and, and sort of, it, the media can tribalize us in a way that I don't think people really even in 1997, I don't think it had fully grasped in the public consciousness yet of how much the media can put you in a certain camp of thought and put you in a confrontational mode against other types of thought. Yeah. And it was um, also before social media, which yeah, is a whole other thing. Let you make a camp and you don't have to leave it ever. I mean, but, on some on some level, I'm I'm assuming Busiak was sort of getting into the idea of things like the 24-hour news cycle and how... Uh, it became more sensationalistic and it became about the panel shows where people were just shouting at each other, which was basically Twitter before Twitter. Um, so I, I assume that's sort of some of what influenced a little bit, but also the idea of propaganda, right? The idea of totalitarianism and, and fascism and the roots of that are in utilizing media. Um, yeah. And there's also... Again, spoiler alert, there's also several murders that lead up to this, yes. but they are not this young, I think she was seven 
or eight. Oh no 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 no. She was she was older than that. She was older, older than that. She was like she was 17. 17. Yeah, seventeen. Oh, she was seventeen. Why is that? She's, she's, very she's basically anyway. the same age as Brian. She's comparable yeah. in age to Brian because that's the other parallel there. Right, but there are other people who are who yes. do die, and then all of a sudden it becomes something a when it's white woman. Yeah. Well, and that that was the the big commentary is like she was the first white victim and that's suddenly when people started to pay attention right that commentary is in here explicitly which is again for 1997 is great like it's it's not being addressed in that way as much so that's it's very progressive in that sense yeah um you know because now there was an entire episode of Nancy Drew about it. I just don't know why I threw that in there, but somehow it came to my mind. Um, I do want to get to the last story. And I want to get to the last story by um, saying one of my favorite things about Astro City, which is that it takes these huge and stories and it makes them emotional and it makes them small not small in a bad way. It makes them focus because it talks about the personal yeah. and the emotional and the feeling between it, um, well, which is it's... why I think in general that works. But we're going to move into the story, The Nearness of You, which is... Before oh. we do that, yes, I just want to say one thing. Uh-huh. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> My God. <laughs> All right, you can continue, but okay. Oh. <laughs> uh oh, I said something wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I'm pretty sure you just made him cry in front of his, uh, you know, uh, fiance on a plane. Is what I think he's implying right now. I I will say I've owned this book maybe eight years, nine, no, probably ten years or so. Um, this is one of those books that I reread constantly. And this story never fails to make me cry. And I don't want to talk about this with spoilers. So we're going to try to avoid them because I think it's a story that needs to have the spoilers remain. And I don't necessarily, I don't really know how we're going to do this, but we're going to try. Okay. Um, I think this story is the best love story that I've ever read. Um, turn it. I'm really trying to do this without spoilers. I'm sorry? I don't disagree. <laughs> it is, so I've read it three times. All three times have made me cry. All three times at different moments. Um, it, is, it is a like perfect love story. It, it truly is. Um, if... I, it, it's one of those things adapting comics to, to media sometimes is great and sometimes is awful. I never want this as anything other than a comic. That it, this is the medium at its finest. Yeah. And what's interesting is most comic companies, I think, most comic writers, I think, would have taken the inciting incident and made that the focus and maybe had this as like a two-page kind of like little moment in it. But because he makes the love story the 
focus of it, it just is so, it just adds this emotional gut punch, this soulful, beautiful gut punch to a superhero book. Matthew is very quiet. This is actually, this, thank you for reminding me. I keep forgetting that this was the part, this was why I was recommending this to you. Had you read this before? This, yeah, I've read The Nearness of You, I, I want to say probably a half dozen times. Okay. Um, it's, it's incredible. I mean, listeners, dear listeners, lend us your ears. Go, if, if nothing else happens out of this podcast, get yourself to your local comic shop or buy it wherever you can. But this single Nearness of You is worth the price of admission for this entire collection alone. It is, I think, to both your points, it's a damn near perfect love story. It will hit you in all the right feels. We can't go into it. We can't give you any actual stuff about it. But damn it, that should tell you something. We want you to read it so badly we can't discuss it here. So please, please, please read this. To piggyback on what you just said, uh, go to your local comic book retailer. This is not available digitally currently. Anywhere. This is not available digitally. So you have to go to your local comic book store and order it or dig through their back issues and find it. And please do. Please do. Um, And I also want to piggyback on, Matthew, what you said, where it hits you in the feels. I don't think this is a... I don't think this is an emotionally manipulative story. I just think Not it's really all. freaking well written. It's, it's incredibly well written. Genius. It's um, incredibly well written. Yeah. Um, so we're 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 going to start to wrap up, but I want to ask the question that I ask everyone who comes on to Comics Corner: Jeremiah, did I give you a good book to read? Yes, without a doubt. Uh, I'm excited to dig more into Astro City. Um, the, the actual confession story is incredibly well done. The nearness to you is above and beyond one of the best single issues that I've ever read in my entire life. Um, the name drop um, definitely threw me for a little bit of a loop because uh, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, and yeah, everything about this book is is next to perfect. Written in 1997, it won the Eisner that year and it had some pretty stiff competition, um, but it is just as resident now in 2021 and it will be resident probably for the remainder of the future, whatever we have left. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you. Matthew. It was great. This is the first time you're reading this complete story. Complete in one sitting. Yeah. It was wonderful. Can't recommend it enough to everybody else. Go out and uh, if you want another great Astro City read, pick up Life in the Big City next. Um, wonderful story. Technically, it was actually the first one published, but I think it actually works better as the second one you read. So, Yeah, something to point out about Astro City. Um, each graphic novel um, can be read in any order. Each story arc deals with very different things. Um, uh, I would say Life in the Big City is great. Confessions is great. Local Heroes is amazing. Tarnished Angel is fantastic. Actually, Matthew, you would probably like Tarnished Angel. It's got kind of a film noir feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, uh, because this is the first time, this is the first one I think that either of you guys have read, 
the main character in Nearness View has his own story arc um, in the newest run, uh, the Vertigo run. Um, and you do see Brian as the confessor in uh, the Astro City graphic novel, Victory. Um, the Nearness of You is not a single issue, so don't go searching for it in a single issue. It actually appeared in an issue of Wizard Magazine um, before they stopped publishing. Um, I don't know which issue it is. I'm sure you can probably Google Wasn't it. it? Quick. Astro City Half? Yeah. Yes. So it is a thing. You can find the single issue. Oh, you can find the single issue. No, you can't. It's it's in it's in um, a Wizard magazine. You have to go find the issue of Wizard. Yeah, magazine. I don't think it was published as it's an issue. I think it was only published in Wizard magazine. I could be wrong about that. I think it was I'll a mail away that you could get a physical copy of it, but I could I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I'm, I, I've anyway, been wrong before. You're never wrong. Yeah, occasionally mistaken. I'm never wrong. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> in, um, in my household i have a saying about my partner lauren is that she's she's not always right but she's never wrong this is and that never is wrong. that's my partner <laughs> that is a very wise wise thing thank you. um okay so uh i want to say thank you so much to jeremiah J for joining us thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for having me uh, i really really appreciate it and i hope i could come back in the future Absolutely. Um, we're going to do something for 25. We've done a round table, but I feel like I want to do another round table. Um, and I think I want to do like a really argumentative one. So I'm going to choose like a book that's like super divisive. I don't know. I, I say that and I'm probably not going to do it, but um, because I'm more into harmony these days. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, again, we talked about Astro City Confession. It is, uh, go to your local comic book store. Um, if you are not sure of where it is, just go uh, comicshoplocator.com. You will find your local store. Um, believe me, throwing business their way, especially these days, means more to them than you will realize. Um, and not only that, but you will get a ton of other books to recommended to you by the people who work there. Um, thank you for joining us. Please join us next week uh, for Heidi and Nora Don't no nerd things, um, which is going to be a very special episode. Um, and then come back next month for the new comic corner where I'm not going to tell you what we're going to be discussing yet because I don't know. No. Yeah. So Jeremiah, the next comics corner, dear listeners is going to be, I get to recommend something for John. And I'm very, very excited to do so because as we're going to be approaching the Halloween season, I'm going to recommend a horror read to John. Very excited about. Okay. Um, Jeremiah, before we go, is is there a place where the listeners can find you? Are you on social media? Do you have any projects coming up that you want to plug? Um, so I am a contributor with Panoids Podcast. You can find Panoids on uh, Instagram, and they have a podcast that drops every Monday. I'm not on it every Monday, but... Uh, you can find that on Spotify. You can follow me as Funus Eris on Instagram if you want to see like my normal life. Uh, and as for projects, I'm working on a lot of stuff that's not really going anywhere, but it's coming out of me, which is a good thing. Um, I got I got stories that are that are writing themselves, luckily, um, which is nice. And hopefully one day uh, they'll see the light of day. But thank Sunday you for we'll doing a comic corner about something you've written, Jeremiah. I oh, I, that, that is that is my goal now. That is my goal. Yes. Snaps, snaps. That's what we're going to be doing. Um, so thank you for joining us here. Uh, 
please stay safe and stay healthy um, and join us. Go back and listen to the episodes if you ever want to explore why April is the cruelest month. 